You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we are so grateful that we serve a God who is so strong. Lord, you're not a weak God. You're a God that we bow down to and worship, the creator and sustainer of all things. Now, Father, I thank you that you know every single person in this room right now. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you know the needs and the burdens and the concerns and the uncertainties. You know them all, and we can stand here together with confidence that you are God, God alone who knows And I pray right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, that as you've been working through this service, you would continue to work powerfully through the proclamation of your truth. I pray, Lord, that one thing is known today from every heart that gathers in this room. It's that every word of God proves true. And he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And so, Father, right now, I I ask that you give us courage and strength and an awareness and an understanding of your grace and your mercy so that we can lean into you and what you would have for us today. Oh God, I pray you would speak so powerfully to us. You would minister to our hearts. You would receive all the glory and all the honor and our lives would be changed because of this next few moments that we spend together in your word. We love you, Lord. And we ask you now to speak so powerfully to us. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree, say amen. 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 Why don't you grab a seat? And as you're taking your seat, I just want to say uh, it is great joy and privilege to be here with you. I can't remember the last time I was here, but uh, the church continues to grow and continues to flourish. We're so thankful where we are at Harvest Toronto West to see all that God is continuing to do here. We love your elders, we love your pastor, Pastor Daryl, he's a dear friend of mine, and again, it's a great privilege for me to be here with you today. So, I want to start this morning uh, with a quote on the screen for you, it's by A.W. Tozer, I want you to look at it. A.W. Tozer said this, he says, to have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. I'm going to read it again. To have found God, Tozer says, and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. In other words, our love for God as Christians is expressed through a constant and steady pursuit of what we've already found in him. It's a paradox. So we've found God to be loving. We've found God to be gracious. We've found God to be compassionate, we found God to be merciful towards us, and all that we found in him continues to spark in us and stir in us a desire for more, to pursue him, to love him. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's a satisfaction that calls us to more hunger and thirst. It's a beautiful paradox. And so I want you to understand this morning before we jump into our text that far from 
empty religiosity. The Christian life is, in fact, a passionate, vibrant pursuit of Jesus Christ. We can love him, the Bible says, because he first loved us. It's not stagnant. It's not complacent. It's not apathetic. The Christian life is a passionate pursuit of Christ. And so the title of this morning's message is Two Ways of Pursuing Christ. Two Ways of Pursuing Christ. We're going to see in our text this morning that there's a a way, there's a kind of pursuing Christ that we're going to see in our text today. We're going to contrast that pursuit of Christ that we find in our text with what God really calls us to be in terms of how our pursuit needs to look. So turn with me in your Bibles now to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, 25 to 35. If you don't have a Bible, I believe the ushers are coming down on either side to put a copy of God's Word in your hand. John chapter 6, uh, 25 to 35. If you don't have a Bible, you can slip up your hand and the ushers will get one to you. John chapter 6, 25 to 35. And this is what we read. Starting from verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So there's so much going on in this passage of Scripture this morning, but one thing I want you to see, as I said earlier, is that in this text we find a kind of pursuing Christ, and throughout this message I want you to be contrasting it, that's what we're going to be doing, with the kind of pursuit of Christ that God has called us to. So this is where we're going to start. You can write this down if you have a pen. There is a way to pursue Christ that is actually, write this down, that is actually self-serving and therefore unsatisfying. There is a way to pursue Christ that is actually self-serving and unsatisfying. Notice the text again, starting from verse 25. 
It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So before we jump into our text and understand really what's going on here, we need to get a bit of the context. We don't just land randomly in the middle of John chapter 6. We want to understand the context. John chapter 6 is like a standalone chapter in the gospel of John. There are 71 verses in John chapter 6, and everything happening in John 6 is pointing to, it's leading to, it's highlighting the greater reality of who Jesus is, what he's come to do, but specifically, what Jesus has come to be for a lost and a dying world. Did you know that Jesus didn't just come to do something for you? Jesus came to be something to you. Jesus came to be something for you. And so verses 1 to 15 in John chapter 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000. That's important context for our passage. You have to understand, with just two fish and five barley loaves, Jesus Christ demonstrates his authority over hunger by miraculously multiplying that bit of food and feeding 5,000 people. It was awesome. And then in verses 16 to 21, Jesus is found miraculously walking on the water, showing himself to be authoritative over nature and creation itself. He just walks on the water towards his disciples in the midst of a raging storm. Who is this Jesus? And by the time we get to verse 25, our text, the crowds have been following him and, and they can't get enough of him. They can't get enough of what they're seeing in him. It's the day after the miraculous multiplication of the food. And the Bible tells us that the crowds came looking for Jesus. The crowds are, in fact, seeking Jesus. The crowds, hundreds of them, are pursuing Jesus Christ. Notice Christ's response to all of this in verses 25 to 26 again. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Notice that Jesus doesn't answer their question. Instead, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So it's important for us to make note of this reality, that in the Gospel of John, when John uses the word signs, he's referring to something that Jesus has done that is pointing to the greater reality of who Jesus is. Signs don't exist for themselves. Signs always point somewhere. And so when Jesus says, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, he's saying that you've missed the purpose of the sign. The, the feeding of the 5,000 was a sign that Jesus performed. And the purpose of the sign was to point to the greater reality of who Jesus is. But what happened in the crowds that day is they saw the sign and they got hung up on the sign. They saw the sign, the feeding of the 5,000, and they couldn't get enough of the sign. 
They were pursuing Jesus. They were seeking Jesus, not for who Jesus is and what he's come to be for them. They were pursuing Jesus because they wanted more of what Jesus could do for them, what he could give to them, rather than who Jesus could be for them. And so the feeding of the 5,000 was a sign designed to point to the glory and the sufficiency and the beauty and the sustenance that is found only in a relationship with Jesus Christ, not the glory and sufficiency and beauty of bread. It's not what it was for. And so here in John chapter 6, Jesus discerns something that no one else is able to see. Jesus discerns that thousands were following him. Jesus discerns that thousands were seeking him. Jesus discerns that thousands are pursuing him. And here's the tragedy. They don't really want him. They want only what he can give to them. There's a way to pursue Jesus Christ that is actually self-serving and ultimately then will be unsatisfying. On the screen for you, John Piper said this, and I found it helpful. He said, Jesus did not come into the world mainly to give bread but to be bread. He did not come into the world to be useful, but to be precious. Oh, how many Christians receive him as useful. Or another way to put it is this. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to assist you in meeting desires you already had before you were born again, He came into the world to change your desires so that he is the main one. That is the reason he came. And so, loved ones, this is a word that my heart needs to hear regularly. This is a word that my heart needs to be reminded of daily and almost in a moment-by-moment way that Jesus didn't come to just be a nice supplement to my life. Jesus came to radically transform my life. Jesus didn't come to be useful to me so that I can do the things that I want to do with his help. Jesus didn't come to be some cosmic genie that whenever I need something, I rub the genie, he gives it to me. Jesus came not just to be useful but to be precious and dear and to become the treasure of my life, to take my life and my affections off of the worthless idols that never satisfy me, to lift my eyes off of those things and to plant my eyes and my affections on the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of the human heart. It's Jesus Christ. So a really quick question for you as we seek to go deeper here and seek to make this personal. Question for you. Why do you pursue Jesus? 
You've got to answer that in your own heart. Why, why do you pursue Jesus? Why, why do you seek Jesus? Why are you here this morning? Why are you part of a small group in this church? Why do you serve on a ministry team? Why do you have uh, accountability relationships in this church? What are you, what are you doing? What, what are you seeking God for? Why do you pursue Jesus, well, some of you may say, I'm not really sure, Jason. How can I really know if my pursuit of Christ is self-serving? You're putting me on the spot right now. I I think my intentions are pure. I think my motives are pure in pursuing Jesus. How can I really know that I'm pursuing Jesus from a self-serving heart? I love God's word because it gives us a few hints. And I want to show you. I want to show you at least three marks of a self-serving pursuit of Jesus Christ the pursuit that we want to move away from towards a genuine, authentic pursuit of Jesus that will result in hearts satisfied and lives blessed. A self-serving pursuit of Christ, you can write this down on the screen, self-serving pursuit of Christ, it constantly tests Jesus. How do I know my pursuit of Jesus is self-serving? Well, the self-serving pursuit of Christ constantly tests Jesus. Notice the text, 27 to 30. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Let's think about this for a moment because something perplexing is happening in this moment in the text. They've just witnessed Jesus feed 5,000 people with like this much food. Like this much went all across, thousands of people. They just watched this happen. And they say to him, what exactly do you do, Jesus, that we should stop and believe you? What what sign do you perform? You see what they're doing? They're testing him. Why? They want another sign. Why? Because they don't want Jesus. They want what he did for them the day before. The bread. He filled their stomachs with bread, and they're coming after him for more. What sign do you do, Jesus? It's really a ridiculous question. In addition to that, chapter 2 of the Gospel of John records for us Jesus miraculously turning water into wine. Word would have spread about this miracle worker named Jesus. Chapter 4 records for us Jesus prophetically telling a Samaritan woman about her whole life in his very first meeting with her. Again, word would have spread Later in chapter 4, Jesus miraculously heals an official's dying son. In chapter 5, Jesus miraculously heals an invalid of 38 years. People are hearing about Jesus. That's why there's thousands following him, pursuing him, seeking him. Notice it. What sign do you do, Jesus, that we may see and believe you? What work do you do? perform. A self-serving pursuit of Jesus is marked by a constant testing of Jesus. I'll trust you if you just do this. 
I'll, I'll, I'll really fall. I'll get serious, Jesus. I'll, I'll get serious about you if you can just do this. You know that thing I've always wanted? Just give me that. You know, you, you did bless me last year. Last year you did bless me. Do it again, then I'll believe you. Then I'll trust you. A self-serving pursuit of Christ constantly tests Jesus. Secondly, a self-serving pursuit of Christ not only constantly tests Jesus, a self-serving pursuit of Christ selfishly demands from Jesus. Notice verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So what they're doing here is they're actually beginning now to compare Jesus to Moses. And they're referring to Exodus 16 here, where God so graciously provided manna, bread from heaven for the people of Israel. Remember that in the Old Testament? And filled with pride, they quote the scriptures to Jesus, basically saying, you fed the multitudes uh, one time. You did it yesterday. Yeah, we saw that. But, but our fathers ate manna day by day. Moses was giving them bread from heaven every single day. Come on, Jesus, do that for us. They're, they're moving from testing Jesus towards now selfishly and self-righteously demanding that Jesus give them bread. Bread from heaven. And so you got to understand what they're doing here. They want something from Jesus. They're testing him. And they're going a step further to demand that Jesus give them bread from heaven continually. And so one of the sure marks of a self-serving, unsatisfied pursuit of Christ is this kind of selfish attitude as we approach Jesus. It's an attitude that demands from him. It's an attitude that tests and tries to corner him. It's an attitude that says, I'll know that you're God when you promote me at work. You gotta do that for me, Jesus. It's the attitude that says, I'll believe that you are God if you get me out of this situation that I'm stuck in. Do that for me, Jesus. You have to do it for me. I'll know that you're God when you cause me to increase materially. I mean, my neighbor just got a new car. I've been driving this beat-up old thing. Give me one. You're supposed to bless me. Give it to me. The attitude that thinks, I'll know that you're God when you, when you remove this cancer from me, then I'll believe you. Whatever circumstance we're facing in our lives, testing, demanding, challenging the Savior of the world is a sign in our hearts that we may not be after him for him, but we may be after him only for what he can do for us, what he can give to us. A self-serving pursuit of Christ constantly tests Jesus, selfishly demands from Jesus, finally this, a self-serving pursuit of Christ 
foolishly looks past Jesus. Foolishly looks past Jesus. Notice it, verses 32 to 34. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So they don't understand yet. You got to notice the continual focus on the physical and the temporal. They're so hung up on having their physical hunger satisfied that they're completely missing something of much greater significance. When Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, Christ is essentially highlighting two fundamental errors in their thinking and in their theology. Number one, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. God did. (laughs) You're missing it. It wasn't Moses who gave you the bread. It was my father who gave you the bread. Number two, that bread could only satisfy physically and temporarily. That bread was simply a picture and a pointer. That bread in the Old Testament was a type. It was meant to foreshadow another kind of bread, a true and satisfying bread, bread that would come down from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is standing there saying, you don't even understand that the bread that rained down from heaven for your fathers that you just referred to is about me. You're missing it. The manna that they're referring to is in fact a preview of Jesus Christ, the Christ that is standing in front of them, but they completely miss the point. And notice what they're doing in the text. They're coming to Jesus, but they are looking beyond Jesus. They don't want Jesus, who is the bread that has come from heaven, to satisfy the deepest longings of every human heart. They take Jesus, essentially. They say, Jesus, we like you. We really do. I mean, what you did for us yesterday, that was good. Come over here. We really want to be your friend. But see that over there? That bread, that's what we want over there. Can you give it to us? That's what they're doing. They're looking past him for something else. When all the while, the only thing that can meet the deepest needs of the human heart is standing right in front of them, Christ Jesus the Lord. And so they're missing the point. And loved ones, we often miss the point. We often miss the point because we maybe come to the Lord in prayer, but actually what we're doing is is just bringing for ourselves Jesus really close, come to us, Jesus, and, and that thing that I really want, this is what I want you to give to me. Rather than coming to Jesus for him, coming to worship him, coming to adore him and to submit to him, we come to him as a means to another end, and that is idolatry. 
Now, some of you are thinking, but isn't it okay if I pray and ask God for things? Of course. Can we come to our Savior and ask him for things? Of course. Jesus teaches us how to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. God loves you. He wants to meet your needs. He wants to meet your physical needs. He wants to meet your tangible needs, of course. But there's a difference between pursuing Christ for him And in the context of worshiping him, seeking his face for the needs of our lives, and coming to him, not really interested in him, but using him as a means to get to that thing that you really worship. There's a big difference. It's this kind of idolatry that is devastating the church in North America. It's this kind of idolatry that could be masked with Christian language and spiritual talk. Come, let's have a prayer meeting together, but you gotta guard your hearts. Why do we pray? Why do we seek Jesus? Why do we pursue him? We have to be able to say that in Jesus, I know that I've found all that my heart has ever dreamed of and longed for in Jesus. Jesus, if you don't give me anything else on this earth, I have all that I need in you. I'm content and I'm satisfied in you and the hope of the gospel and the glory of the grace of Jesus Christ in you is all that I need. That's the heart of prayer. We have to guard ourselves from the idolatrous heart that creeps in. And you know, I love the old hymn that says, I resonate with it so much. I'm so prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. You ever feel that way? You feel so prone to wander? I feel it. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and you know, you know who Jesus has been for you. You know what he's sacrificed for you. You know the satisfaction that is found in him, but our hearts are so prone to wander. Do you feel it? You feel it sometimes. I feel it. My heart prone to wander. Oh God, help us never to be foolish and look past you for something else, something temporal, something physical that we think we need to meet the deepest longings of our hearts when you have made yourself known to us. Justin and Sally are a beautiful couple in our church. I've known them for many years. They are followers of Jesus Christ. They've been followers of Jesus Christ for many years. And when they got married many years ago, they began to realize that they were having trouble uh, conceiving children. And so early in their marriage, they began experiencing difficulty, and it was a very deep desire in their hearts to be parents, like very deep, a very deep longing. They prayed and they trusted God earnestly, but they continued to struggle with the heartbreaking reality of infertility. They managed to get pregnant once, but it resulted in a devastating miscarriage. After over 10 years of fertility treatments and dashed hopes and scattered dreams, they began to yield their deep desire to conceive children to the Lord, and their hearts began to turn towards the prospect of adoption. This was years of pain and struggle and disappointment and wrestling. They were open to whatever the Lord had, but 
Specifically, they had prayed that God would give them a newborn baby. They had a desire for a newborn baby. They had a desire to raise a child from its earliest days. And they prayed and asked God for that. The adoption agencies and everyone who advised them said, that's probably not going to happen. Okay? It's highly unlikely that you're going to get a newborn baby, so just set your expectations right. So they continued to pray and desire that, and what many people told them would be an impossibility actually began to happen. They got a phone call one day that a young mother or a young pregnant woman who had got pregnant unexpectedly, she saw their profile on the adoption agency site, and she was preparing to give birth and put up her baby for adoption. She saw their profile, and she said, I like this couple. I want to meet this couple, and I, I think I want this couple to adopt my little girl when she's born. And so this was answered prayer for Justin and Sally. This was hope-filled news. This was the desire of their heart granted by God, and they were filled with such joy and rejoicing, indescribable joy. They, they went to the hospital when the baby was born, and they literally took the baby from the mother. Like, it was just like that. The baby was born, and they took the baby, and they clothed the baby, and they fed the baby girl, and they named the baby girl, and they nurtured the baby girl, and they just loved the baby girl. For five days. I didn't realize that in every adoption process, there's a 30-day window where the biological parents can change their minds. And that's what happened in the case of Justin and Sally. I remember receiving the phone call I answered, and I was met with Justin and Sally both on the phone, on speaker, weeping <clears throat> uncontrollably. I knew something horrible had happened. All I could hear coming through between the sobs and the yell and the screams was, they're, they're taking her away. They're, they're taking her away. Jason, they're taking her away. And they were devastated. So Justin and Sally packed up this little precious baby girl that all, really symbolized all of their, their hopes and their dreams. And they packed up all the toys, and they packed up all the clothes, and they packed up all the baby bag stuff and the diapers. They packed it all up. And they packed up the baby girl, and they drove the baby girl to a place they would drop her off and never see her again. Well, needless to say that they went through a long and tremendous season of grief and sorrow. Justin says to me that he was so angry, he was so angry with God. This is a mature believer. He's been a believer for many, many years. He was so angry with God. He says, Jason, there was days I just fell on the kitchen floor, and I would just bang the floor, and I would just pound my fist on the floor and say, God, why did you give us what we asked for and then take it away? Why would you do this? He was so angry with God that he went through a season he couldn't pray anymore. He put his Bible down, and he wouldn't read it anymore. Justin and Sally grieved for many, many months, and finally God was working in their hearts and lovingly drawing them back to himself. And Justin and Sally began to pray again, began to read the word of God again. Justin says that as he began reading the word of God and praying, these are his own words, his relationship with Jesus Christ 
became like brand new. Because what he and Sally began to find was in the midst of their devastation and their tremendous loss and their hopes dashed and their dreams dashed, they were able to actually experience for the first time in their lives what it means that Jesus is the bread of life, that he's all that I need. And they described their relationship with Jesus as brand new. All the years we followed Jesus, all the years we've been leaders in the church, all these years, we've never known him to be this close to us. We've never known his comfort in this way. We've never known his love in this way. We've never known his grace in this way, brand new. And they experienced for the first time, after being years following Jesus, what it means that when you strip everything away, Jesus is really all that we need. And so in the midst of unimaginable loss, Justin and Sally discovered in a new way the pursuit of Christ, listen, that satisfies forever. Not a pursuit of Christ that will result in a baby girl. Not a pursuit of Christ that will result in you fill in the blank for yourself. God loves you, loved ones. God loves you. He wants to give you good things. But do you know, do you know what the best thing for you and me is? For us to find our hearts content and satisfied in Jesus. That's what we need. We don't need the things that we're dreaming about. We need Jesus. We don't need a better salary or a new car or that spouse or a child. All of those things are not bad in and of themselves. And many of those things are good gifts that God will give. But sometimes God will strip us in order to show us what is best for us. And it is him. It is Jesus alone. Are you here today? Searching for something to satisfy your heart? Are you here today saying the Christian things, going to the Christian events, but in your heart, if you're honest, there's something you desire more than Jesus? As our hearts are so prone to wander, we'll get to that place frequently in our lives. The call to action today is not perfect contentment in Jesus, but it's an awareness of how our hearts so wander so that we can snap out of it and be awakened to the reality that this idol will never satisfy. When I worship other things, I end up coming up short every time. Jesus is the only faithful friend, and he calls us to himself again Today. There is a way, loved ones, to pursue Christ that is actually self-serving and will always leave us unsatisfied. But let's close with this now. There is a way then to pursue Christ that is truly Christ-exalting and life-giving. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me 
shall never thirst. This is the first of seven I am statements Jesus makes, absolute statements about his deity, about who he is, making himself equal to God, the God of the Old Testament. That means that Jesus didn't come primarily to give something to us as much as he came to be something for us. I want to encourage you today. Whatever you're walking through, Jesus came 2,000 years ago to be something for you, to be your soul satisfaction, to be bread for the hunger of your heart, to be sustenance for the heart that's malnourished, to fill the hunger of the heart. That's who he is. And every single person in this room is hungry and thirsty in one way or another. We're hungry for meaning. We're hungry for significance. Some of us are hungry for soul satisfaction. The kitchen renovation didn't do it for you. You know, you thought it would, right? You, you saw that, you know, let me renovate my kitchen. Maybe this will make my life better. And then you realize when, when the kitchen was done, it was, oh, so awesome. I love it. But then like two minutes later, it's like I don't care about it anymore. Because it's not meeting the deepest needs of my heart. Like the new fancy car that you dreamed of all your life, you finally got it. And for the first five minutes, you loved it. But then you realized, like, it's not really really doing anything for me anymore. There is only one, one way to find our lives move from death to life, from restlessness to peace, from despair to hope, from the never-ending pursuit of happiness to true and lasting joy. We don't need something from Jesus today. We need Jesus himself. That's what we need. I need him. You need him. I woke up this morning feeling my need for him. I trust that God will show you your need for him. And Jesus gives us a very precious and life-altering promise today as the worship team gets ready to come and close us off. He says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This, loved ones, is the great pursuit of God. This is the only path to freedom in Jesus Christ. This is what we were made for. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. We're going to bow our heads and I'm just going to lead us in a time of prayer and the team is going to take us to respond with a song. But as you stand in this place, would you ask yourself the question, as I've asked myself so many times in so many days, what is it that I really want that's not Jesus? And as you begin to examine that thing, you begin to realize that we're not much different than the crowds that pursued Jesus on many days. Sometimes we pursue him, looking past him, demanding from him, testing him, because we want him to give us something else that we're really worshiping. Maybe this is a moment for you to 
lay everything down before Jesus Christ right now. Some of us in this room, we have legitimate dreams and desires that are good, they're not bad. Some of us have aspirations, and they're not bad, they're good. In many cases, they're God-given. And you know, loved ones, that's where it gets difficult, is when we have a good desire sometimes. Maybe now is a moment for you to say, God, every desire of my heart, every aspiration that is good even and noble, even God-given, all of that, Lord, I want it just to come under you. I, I want it to come under you. I don't, I don't want any of those things if it's going to take me away from you. I, I don't, just say that to the Lord. If you can say that honestly, some of you will say, I, I can't say that. How about you say, Lord, help me, help me to believe that and say that. You are all that I need. And so whatever, whatever it is, you would lay it down before the Lord, trusting him. And say, Lord Jesus, as A.W. Tozer prayed, I want to want you more. It's a good prayer to pray. Father, I pray for this church. For Harvest Niagara, the leaders, the elders, the pastors, the staff, the, the precious members of this congregation, Lord Jesus, I pray that this would be a church that is marked by true and authentic need for you, longing for you, and satisfaction in you and what you can provide and supply for us. Do the work that you want to do in our hearts today as we sing this. Let it be our prayer. Oh, how we need you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.